Brothers and sisters in Christ, how wonderful it is to be among you again. It's been quite a while since I've seen some of your faces, and it's, it is wonderful to fellowship with you and to worship our Lord together. So uh, please, if, if you are able, turn in your Bibles and stand as we go to Colossians 3, verses 5 through 11. Colossians 3, verses 5 through 11. This is God's word. Please give it your full attention. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Blessed be God's word. You may be seated. One of the great contributions that the United States has made to the rest of the world is the national and state park system. It's wonderful and a glorious thing to be in the presence of something so great and so powerful as the redwoods or Yosemite or something like uh, a, a great rock that is, over, <laughs> that is over you and is greater than you. Anything that is larger than you and shows the greatness and the glory of natural creation. The beauty of natural creation. And it's something that shows us truly the beauty of God as well, or should point us to the beauty of God. The greatness and glory and beauty of God himself, who dwarfs these glories even more than the sun dwarfs a candle. The beauty of the earthly ought to, ought to push us and acknowledge the beauty beyond the small glimpses we get on earth, like in Yosemite or in the redwoods. They ought to push us to Christ and push us to the Lord God. And Yosemite reminds us of the greatness of God. However, the comparison between these two things, that is the beauty of nature and the beauty of God, is by no means identical. A Christian views the beauty of these earthly things in a different way than the world and a non-Christian. Non-Christians often look at these beautiful things, the national parks and state parks, and find in them a perfect system, perfect peace somehow, when in reality, Nature is full of horrors that sin has created, our sin. The non-Christian world looks at nature as if it were a perfect system, and by God's grace, it often writes itself quite well, but often some of the most disturbing images of our world come from nature. The meaningless, seemingly meaningless, and wasteful death of a starved animal, or those animals that simply kill for fun, or animals like orcas who do not kill their food, but play with them while it's still alive. This world, even in its most beautiful and lovely vistas, is stained with our sin and Adam's sin. And the world itself waits, groaning with eager longing to be remade without these and our horrors which pervade it. Likewise, individual Christians wait with the earth, groaning with eager longing to be remade 
without these sinful horrors that are within us. But in this present world, complete judgment and the complete work of remaking has not yet arrived for the earth. But unlike Yosemite or Yellowstone, God has given his elect the privilege of being remade in the image of Christ. That is, although Yosemite imperfectly reflects God, even the most beautiful, the most good, the most wondrous thing on this earth is still tainted with sin. Sin remains in it and remains in this world. But unlike Yosemite, unlike the natural world, Christians have the ability, they have the duty, the honor and privilege to put these things to death, to put these things away. As Colossians 3, 5 through 11 tells us, because we are no longer part of this world, but part of the next. We are no longer united to Adam, but to Christ. And Christians are called to the honor and pleasure of imaging God in the greatest way possible on this earth. We are being renewed after the image of our creator, like the natural world. Like the natural world is not normal, natural man, full of horrors, is not normal. Christians are the only ones who are reaching for the normal, the life of true happiness and pleasure, which is living in the image of God. Which brings us to the first section. To live in Christ, we must be dead to the world. And this is what Paul tells us first in Colossians 3, 5 through 11. Verses 5 through 9 especially, where he says, You have died, therefore put to death. The first command from Paul in our passage is put to death. And all of verses 5 through 9 are dedicated to explaining what this one direction from God actually means. He gives quite a few different examples. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry in verse 5, and anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouths in verse, verse 8. Unfortunately, I can't go into these in much detail. We just don't have the time. I could, there could be sermons on every single one of these, but uh, I would still like you to notice that sexual immorality comes first. It has pride of place. Showing that sexual immorality really is one of the first things that must come off as Christians, as we are united to Christ, and one of the hardest things to keep off as Christians. Impurity, passion, and evil desire are different forms of the same thing, however. They are unrestrained desires, which invent evils. Impurity, specifically, gets at the self-indulgent aspect of unrestrained desire, doing whatever desires you want, without any regard to what is pure or to what is vile. There's much impurity in our day, and we'll speak of this more later. Passion is unbridled desire, especially not being bridled by reason or the word of God. Where impurity doesn't regard the purity of the thing, passion regards nothing at all. And finally, evil desire, which is another name for the other two. For this, he next gives covetousness, which is almost further than the other three, because covetousness is the most merely inward of all of them. Covetous, covetousness may lead to action, of both body and the spirit, but to covet is really an action of the spirit, an inward action. If the person is crafty, there is no sign in the body 
of the covetousness of the person. But what makes covetousness, most especially idolatry, as Paul calls it here, is that the one who covets must put the love of money and possessions in the place of God. That is idolatry. Covetousness shows the inward nature of all sin, the inward nature, the idolatry of all sin, and the true nature of sin as replacing the love of God the love of something else that is earthly and lesser. There need not be a wooden object before us to be idolaters, brothers and sisters. We are all idolaters, if we envy or have any of these desired septus. Therefore, because these are really instances of worshiping a different and holy, unworthy God, God says in verse 6, On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Sin is never neutral, even for the Christian. Sin deserves wrath. Your sin deserves wrath. No Christian will feel this wrath because that wrath has already been placed upon Christ. But do we discard that these things are worthy of wrath because it already has been placed upon Christ? This is what Paul is reminding us here, that sin is worthy of wrath. We had not forget that, brothers and sisters. The reprobate will show the justice of God. And do we discard this great image of what sin deserves even in us? So, he says, we must not walk in these, nor live, see this as well, in them, as verse 7 says. These two are quite different, living and walking. A living thing may not be able to walk, but a walking thing certainly lives. Living is the prerequisite for walking. The living must come before the walking. So since we are now alive to Christ, as he says in verse 7, we were, past tense, living in them. And these, you too, once, past tense, walked. Now that we no longer live in the world, but in Christ in heaven, as was shown earlier in Colossians 3, we ought to put away our evil walking are continuing to practice those things of our former life, of this present earth, and not the earth to come, which is where we live now. For we put away, as we see in verse 8, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, and lying, because as we see in verse 9, you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. To, to help explain this, so what being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator means, let me tell you one of the greatest pet peeves that I have in movies. The, I like being evil because I like being evil stock character. Hitler is often portrayed in this way. He has no principles, he is merely evil, and he loves doing evil, and had no motives other than being evil. Certainly Hitler was evil, greatly evil, but every sinner not to mention every villain in every story, is self-deceived into thinking what he does is good. That their evil way is good. They can never be consistent in this, and it often shows. And their conscience and the horror of life, the life they live, continues to pop up in front of them. But they work hard to have their knowledge drive their actions. No villain, perhaps save one, simply does evil because it is evil. 
Villains do evil because they've deceived themselves into thinking that evil is good. The self-deceived man is the old man. We were once that man. The new man is the one who is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. We are no longer self-deceived. That is what it means to put on the new man. We are now what is good, and we know what is good and pleasing to God. And God calls us to act in accord with the knowledge that we have. Let us walk in the knowledge that we have, the knowledge of what is good. The new man is a man of knowledge. He is being renewed in his mind so that he is convinced of the truth of Scripture and is impelled to act upon what he knows to be good. We are no longer sexually immoral, not only because we know sexual immorality will bring great, great misery, and it certainly does, but because now we have the knowledge that it is sin and it is sinful, which is much more important to us as Christians. These things are hateful to God, and now living in knowledge, we hate them as well, not only the misery of them. The new man hates sin because he is renewed in knowledge. But we must also see the progressive nature of this work. We are renewed in knowledge, but it also says that we are being renewed in knowledge. Verse 10 says, a present continuous action, one that starts at our conversion and continues on until death when we are perfected. And we are being renewed after the image of our creator. Now this is very important. To be renewed in the image of our creator is to shine the glory of God to the nations. To shine the glory of God in the image of God we have been given. We put off the old man, the earthly things in us, like snakes continually shedding off their old skin. And what is the result? Glory. Glory that Yosemite or the Grand Canyon or anything of this earthly life cannot show. Glory of the image of God within us. The things around us reflect God. We are the image of God being renewed continually. This is incredible, brothers and sisters. It is wonderful. We will be the most beautiful, the most glorious, the shining jewels of all of God's creation, more than Yosemite, more than anything else. This is wondrous, and I wonder if many of us believe these things in the Christian world. Many Christians live as if their, their lives are drab, that their works do very little, that it shines forth God very little. They do just as much evil as they do good because it feels right. But sin has no dominion over us. I do not declare it. God has. Why go back? Eternal life is the lot of the new man. Glory is the lot of the new man, even in this life and the next. We are to live the new life in the power of the Holy Spirit and show God's glory to the world. Christ's very image is within you, the image of the Creator. Which brings us to the second part of the sermon, the new man, verses 10 through 11. And let me read those again, verses 10 through 11. And I put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its Creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. This is the new mankind that we have been created into. The new mankind that lives in the new heavens and the new earth. 
the distinction between Jew and Gentile is due to a, done away with. And this distinction between Jew and Gentile was the greatest and most basic distinction in the world to them. We see this across the, the whole of the Old Testament. Jews were the chosen race of God, and Gentiles, or Greeks, were the unclean idolaters. But now we regard no one according to the flesh, but by Christ. But let me explain how important this verse is for today. It is very, very important. For the Gentiles, let me explain what that even means to the first century people. A barbarian or a Scythian uh, were the low people, but it, barbarians especially. Those people who may or may not still continue human sacrifice, depending on where you go, that may or may not have committed atrocities against the Jews and the Gentiles. These people are those people that are not part of civilized civilization, people who are truly outside normal, normal life, and trying to push them out is truly what the, the, uh, the Romans were doing. But Scythians, Scythians were even worse. They had a practice of not killing their prisoners, but actually scalping them with their fingernails. As the Jewish history, 4th Maccabees 10 says, Scythians are included because they were the worst of the worst. They were the lowest of the low in civilization. And yet, in Christ, there is no barbarian. There is no Scythian. These are incredible words. But isn't it interesting? Thousands of years of animosity at this point between these people, and no reparations are asked. Everything has been destroyed on the cross of Christ. No provisional distinctions are asked for. Everything has been left nailed upon the cross. No distinctions of nation or people, of prior atrocities or prior help, color our view of the people who kneel before the throne of grace. We do not see the man covered in filth, but we see the man that is covered in the righteousness of Christ. Yes, Christians in a very important way, do see color. But they do not see color mainly. They see Christ. There is no Scythian. There is no slave. There is no free. There is no barbarian. There is no Jew. And there is no Greek. But Christ is all in all, brothers and sisters. If one confesses Christ, Christians see Christ. And the character of Christ ought to emanate from them, like rays from the sun, as we have already seen. For we already discussed those who are in Christ have put away the old man, which is part of the old creation, and put on the new self, which is no longer living in sexual immorality in the things of the old self, and the old creation, but is in the new creation. Although we, with our eyes, see race or color, we see the character of the Christian more. The image of Christ is more powerful than any earthly image that we see before us. But if not by color of skin, how are we to judge our brothers and sisters in Christ? Jesus says rightly in Matthew 7, Do not judge, so that you will not be judged. But we cannot understand this as simply a blanket statement, Do not judge at all. For Christ commands us to judge in John 7, Do not judge by outward appearance, but judge with right judgment. No, we are to judge, but never without looking at the plank in our own eye. As the context of Matthew 7 shows, we are to judge, but never to judge in the spirit of moral superiority. For there is no Jew, no Gentile, no bar bar barbarian, nor Scythian. We are all equal in Christ. However, that means that 
We ought to judge one another by the same measure of character as well. And how high that standard is. Our world is apt to give a greater measure of allowance based on appearances. A black man based merely upon his blackness. A white man based merely upon his whiteness. Let all appearances die, brothers and sisters. And let us judge with right judgment and attempt to understand them from the heart. For it is the heart that even God cares for. For it is Christ that is in all. And we also say, with Paul and with God, that there is no distinction between slave and free. This judging by the heart and not by appearances extends even to social and political structures. These earthly things do not matter in comparison with being united to Christ. This even extends to slaves. Brothers and sisters, we should, this should give us pause. How incredible that this greatest of disparity in power between those people in society, slave and free, is no distinction at all. Were there slaves and free men here, we would be worshiping our God together, side by side, equally in front of our God. All are equal before the judgment seat of God because all are equally in Christ, if you have faith in Christ. Yes, that is just the point, that we are equal with Christ. And yet some would say, and yet we are not equal on earth. Yes, the world is not yet completely renewed, and so we are not completely equal. Besides the master-slave social structure, the marriage and family structures of the world are here, and as well as the civil structures of the world, they still remain. And these two will pass away in some way as at the coming world, which is above us, where Christ is. But until that time, we ought to fulfill our roles as best our ability on this earth. So that is a subject to be spoken about much more fully later on in chapter 3, and I encourage you to continue reading chapter 3. There will be more there. But notice what he does not say. He does not say that there is no husband. He does not say that there is no wife. He does not say that there is no male, that there is no female, that there is no child, that there is no parent. You'll see later on, these still remain, and there is good reason for their remaining. But Paul is here more focused on what shines through everything. That is, Christ, who is all and in all, shines through us as redeemed people. Whether our appearance is Jewish, Greek, white, black, what matters is not these things. It is Christ in us and our reflecting his glory that matters. And as I conclude, let us meditate on Christ is all and in all a little bit more. This is the basis of everything that has been said already. Matthew Henry says it well. Christ is a Christian's all, his only Lord and Savior, and all his hope and happiness. And to those who are sanctified, one as well as another, and whatever they are in other respects, he is all in all, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He is all in all things to them. That's a wonderful way of putting it, that he is all in all things to them. When we look at Yosemite or when we look at our daily meals, when we look at the, the small things of this life, we see God's glory. We find God's glory there. When we look at Jew or Greek, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, when we look at white or black, European or American, wealthy, middle class, or lowest of the low, if they are Christians, we see Christ. If they are not Christians, we see them in Adam.
This is part of what God means when he says in Colossians 3.10, you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. We see everything in reference to Christ. I wonder, brothers and sisters, how often we actually do this. In our normal daily life, do we think of Christ? I would encourage you to do this, to meditate on Christ in your daily life. To see yourself, your brother, sister, husband, friend, or whoever it may be, as their most basic skin color, their nationality, their social or political strata, or even their levels of conformity to the law, then you do not see them rightly because you do not see them in Christ. They are those things, but who we are more basically is what God has now made us, the image of our creator. If Christ is all in all, then to see ourselves rightly is to see ourselves in Christ. When we look inwardly at, inwardly at ourselves and our sin, we ought to see Christ and repent. To look inwardly, if we are a Christian, to never address Christ in prayer, to never speak to him in his word, is to live as an unbeliever who knows their sin but has no remedy for them, has no power to overcome them. If you are one of those who lives in your sin and does not repent, lives in your sin and has no faith in Christ, then I call you to repent and look to Christ. Whatever identity that you are finding yourself, finding for yourself in this world will not be enough. You already know that. But Christ is enough. What a Christian is, is a renewed person with new powers. The powers that you desire as an unbeliever, the powers of a new heart, powers of, of joy and your conscience not pounding against you that is truly in Christ. It is what you have if you are a Christian here. New powers and a new heart. Everything inside is Christ conditioned, Christ changed, Christ beloved, Christ assured. And if Christ regards us as such, then how are we to regard one another? With the things of this world that are to pass away, Tribes and colors and tongues will remain in some respect in the new world, but they are like a drop in the bucket compared to Christ. So brothers and sisters, I ask you the question, who are you? When I ask you that question, what would you give? Would you give your profession? Would you give your appearance? Would you give your sex? Would you give your disposition? What do you give in answer to that question? Are you looking so intently at Christ that he is your answer, that you are a Christian? Are we looking at candles to give us worth and identity when the Son has given us all his light and renewed us in knowledge after his image? Who are you? Are you a skin color, an orientation, or are you even your sins? If you are in Christ, you are none of these, even your sins. You are better, more holy, more like Christ than you realize. You are Christ's image, who are you? You are Christ's image. And we must act like it, as Paul says here. We must put off the old man. If you live as if you were merely a thing in this world, I call you to repent and live with the light of Christ flowing through you to this world. For the world ought to look at us, his church, and marvel with as much terrible awe, even more so than Yosemite or Yellowstone. For we image Christ through our living and our walking. So I call you 
if you are not walking in Christ, to repent, that you might show forth the glory of Christ. For the name of Christ is on every single one of us. We bring it along with us. We dishonor him if we walk not in his image, but in our old man. There ought not to be any sexual immorality among us or slander or lying. If we are, we are renewed and are being renewed in the image of Christ, who is all in all. For obedience is heaven begun, and may he give us power to put to death every evil way, that his image might shine to the world through us. Lord, come quickly, that we might obey. Let's go to our God in prayer. Our Lord, our great God, we thank you that you are in the heavens and that you do all that pleases you. Lord, you are great. You are sovereign. You are loving. You sent your Son that we might take off this old world, the old garments of, of sin and slander against your name, of sin and, and covetousness. We pray, Lord, that we would put on Christ. For, Lord, we, we know that there is no Jew, there is no Greek, there is no Scythian, there is no slave, there is no free. Lord, we thank you. And for all these things, we are now in Christ. We have been made new. We pray, Lord, that as we look at our brothers and sisters in Christ, that we would be united and we would love them, or that we would see Christ in them, that we would admonish one another, that we would teach one another the truths that we see in your word, or that you would help us to see Christ in one another. And even as we look inside our own hearts, that we would not see our sin as the thing that defines us, that we would see the cross, that we would see Christ that we would not look to this earthly world for some satisfaction, but, Lord, that we would look to you. We would look to your Son. Lord, we thank you that you have sent your Son. May our lives be worthy on this earth, showing forth your glory, being renewed in knowledge. Lord, may your image be glorified through us. And may we give you all the glory. We ask all this, O Lord. We pray all this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.